Welcome to Lawyerly. I'm your host, Sean Kennedy of Herrera Purdy. What you're hearing right now is not new intro music for the show. It's actually today's guest, the multi-talented Joanne Caruso, who was a leader in Howry's Los Angeles office and now is a senior executive at a Fortune 500 company. But here, Joanne is playing in front of an audience of thousands with many more watching on TV. Stick around to hear more about Joanne, including the fascinating story behind this performance. Welcome to Lawyerly. My guest today is Joanne Caruso, who is Chief Legal and Administrative Officer at Jacobs. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Joanne. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Sean. It's great to be here. So Jacobs is a Fortune 500 company, 52,000 employees worldwide, according to the website, and $13 billion in annual revenue. What does Jacobs do? We do so much. <laughs> Really, that could take a whole hour, but essentially we're a professional services company and we do consulting, um, technical consulting, scientific uh, consulting and environmental project delivery for our clients, which typically are in the government area and then the private sector as well. Okay. Uh, so I would guess that a lot of our uh, our listeners might not even have heard of Jacobs. It's not a it's not one that I would know of aside from connection to you. Um, why why is that for such a big company? Is is it? Am I just out of the loop, or is it not necessarily like a, a front of the tip of the tongue kind of name? Well, um, you know that's something that actually we talk about, and we are. We are working on that. It is uh, a company that actually touches so much of um, so many things that touch everybody's lives. Hmm. You know, infrastructure, cities, um, you know, just, uh, you know, we do work with um, laboratories. We do work with a lot of government agencies. One of our big clients is NASA. So we really hmm. touch so many things that touch everybody, but it is a company that we understand may be, not be known, um, and just some something that a lot of people may not be familiar with. But we are working on that, um, and we really uh, think that that is changing, um, but it's really a company that really should be known by everybody because we really do touch so many things that touch everybody throughout the world, actually. What does your role as Chief Legal and Administrative Officer entail? So in my role, I oversee um, a number of the corporate functions in the company. Uh, legal, uh, HR, uh, what we um, term HSE, so that's Health, Safety, Environment, and then Sustainability and Security. 
and we um, have a uh, what we call the sales center of excellence, which is essentially we have you know sales huge sales groups within both of our lines of business. But the center of excellence is a small group that really is there to help our um, businesses, you know, sell work um, and best practices across the company. And then also um, the last function that's within my role is enterprise risk management. And so the leaders of all of those functions report up to me. That's a fair amount of different responsibilities in one person. It's a, it's a great, great job. It's, um, you know, it touches so much that touch all parts of the company um, and that are really critical to the company, you know, the legal, the compliance, the people, um, which are the heart of our business. And mm-hmm. as we're a professional services company, you know, people um, are really what, what makes the company and what is our greatest uh, resource. And um, then, of course, keeping people safe, keeping people secure, and, um, of course, our sustainability function, and, of course, uh, looking at risk throughout the company as well. So we really um, have great synergies, um, and it's the, the leaders of each of them are just outstanding, and I learn from them every day. But it's it's really just a wonderful, wonderful position, and I'm really grateful to have it. Hmm. Well, with so many employees uh, and such a big company, I imagine that you have a number of people, you know, that that work under you, teams of people that work under you in each of those those roles. Yes. So in total, there's just about 300 people throughout the entire what we call CLAO organization. So what does that all include? All of those different roles? Mm-hmm. It okay. does. It does. So HR and legal, and those are all combined in that same group? Well, they're different functions. So um, we have a general counsel, and he has, of course, the legal function, our head of HR. But all together, there's about 300 people throughout, throughout the entire group. But they're so, managed separately. Got it. Okay. So you've been at Jacobs for, it looks like, around... Eight years? That's right. Um, and you've held a few different positions at the company. Maybe tell us a bit about how your role has changed over time. When I joined Jacobs in April of 2012, I went in as the vice president of global litigation. And that role was, was really being responsible ultimately for the company's litigation around the world in the places um, that we operate in, of course, um, places where we would we would have lawsuits. And I was in that role, which was a great role, um, as well, they've all been great roles, through May of 2017. And in May of 2017, I uh, became the head of uh, the HR organization. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the woman who had been in uh, HR, she had left the company, and I was asked by the CEO um, if I'd be interested in considering that role. And after talking to him and some other leaders, was offered that role and took that role, so completely out of legal, and was in that role through the end of 2017. And at that point, I um, 
was offered the role of uh, chief administrative officer, which was a new role at the time. And in that role, um, I had a number of functions report up to me, not legal, but I had compliance, HR, or HSES, and our sales center of excellence. And was in that role for about a year, and then at the end of that year was offered my current role, Chief Legal and Administrative Officer, which um, then where legal came, the entire legal organization came within my, uh, my remit. That almost sounds like a few different sort of career changes even within the same organization. Yes, it really is. And it's really was leaving a what was a um, comfort zone of litigation, mm -hmm. which I love and loved um, uh, to really new and different things. But I must say, it's really been just so exciting and challenging and learning new things and continuing to learn new things. And as I when I became the head of HR, and then the um, Chief Administrative Officer in my role now, reporting directly to the CEO and on the executive leadership team. So not only am I dealing with um, the various functions that I work with and the leaders within those functions, but with the with the CEO, the CFO, and the rest of the executive leadership team on a lot of just you know overall initiatives for the company um, that we do, which has been really really terrific and. You know, within that role, we also get involved in, you know, we have a huge focus on inclusion and diversity, and um, we have a number of employee network groups um, throughout the company, and because I was on the executive leadership team, we, um, we have a member of the executive leadership team as an executive sponsor of one of the employee network groups, and so that really gave me the opportunity to get involved with a lot of our cultural transformation and our inclusion and diversity efforts. And that's just been a real highlight as well for me mm -hmm. the past few years. So it's really just sort of opened up this aperture of just incredible experiences <laughs> that have been wonderful. That's great. I mean, it sounds, I, I don't know if climbing the corporate ladder is the right, um, the right word for it, but you know, in the context of a large, such a large company like that, um, what was that kind of? What was it like to move from somebody who had a, a real focus on litigation to now in your current role, um, where you have a much, you know, much broader kind of footprint over the, within the company? Well, it's really um, been exciting and a challenge and sometimes I think I don't I still have so much to learn mm. and when I uh, was first approached by the um, the CEO with respect to HR and that was really a, a new um, field went <laughs> to um, completely different and I didn't really know a lot about it and, and he he really talked about it um, you know that you have the experts that really know the areas and a lot of it is about leadership and really relying on the experts and not trying to learn every little thing about, you know, HR and employee relations, but really, you know, getting the best out of your leaders and helping them to do their job and motivating them and really, you know, being um, inspirational and 
you know, helping them set their goals in terms of what they want to accomplish and really just, you know, leading. And um, so that was, I thought, really good advice. I will tell you, there's still so much that I feel like need to learn and need to, you know, uh, advance on. But um, as I said, I have, I work with just incredible, incredible uh, experts and subject matter experts and people. And um, so it's really been great. And we all really do help each other. So prior to, prior to coming into Jacobs, you were in the law firm world. Uh, yes. Immediately prior to that, you moved from big another big firm, uh, Baker and Hostetler. Uh, what was that like to, to kind of move from the big firm world to the in-house world? It was um, it was a good move for me. You know, um, Baker was a great firm. I was only there a year, um, and I know you're going to get to uh, what led to that. But um, but really good good firm, good people. But you know, I had been practicing in a big firm at that point for you know almost 28 years. So and I had had been really lucky, especially at Howie where I was before. Baker to get just a lot of great experience, um, and it was really, you know, a good change because it was something that was fresh. It was something that was, you know, new experiences, and so it was. Um, it was a good change. It was interesting though because um, when I started at Jacobs, it real I went into a situation where really just because of just kind of what was happening in a particular case, there was, there was, you know, really intense work on a couple of matters. So it actually has been really from the first day at Jacobs through now where I am really working harder than I ever worked <laughs> in a law firm. It's very different and it's very, you know, in a different way, mm -hmm. but it's really, um, you know, for people who say going in house is is easier and not as much work, I um I am a testament that that is not true. <laughs> it, maybe it used to be a long, long time ago, but I just don't think it's true in most corporations. Maybe it depends what corporation you end up in and what role you end up in too. Could be. But yours is probably <laughs> not one of the uh, the lifestyle choices. Yeah. Um. So let's rewind a little bit when did you first say you know what I want to be a lawyer so in my high school yearbook you know when it has future it actually said lawyer which is interesting <laughs> to me because I never had any members of my family that were lawyers and I didn't know any lawyers but I think back then which was a long time ago now um, you know that was a way that I thought I could really do something good and, you know, in my, my thinking then, you know, change the world, <laughs> make a difference, is that a doctor, and I was not really good in sciences, so I guess that's probably why I put lawyer, and it was just really from that point on that I just had the law in my sights. Hmm. So then you went to law school, uh, yes. and... Okay, so I hope you don't mind me getting into this, but I always Google, do some Google research uh, about my guests, and uh, I have to ask you about being a Miss America contestant. 
Not many people know that. <laughs> so you were a Miss America contestant because you were Miss Connecticut in 1984. Was that when you were in law school? It was. It was. I, um, it was the end of my second year of law school. And um, yes. What was that like? <laughs> It was, uh, you know, it, so this is back in 1984, a long time ago, and it was, you know, it was, it was a very interesting experience, and I met a lot of, it was fun, it was so different from anything I had ever done, um, and there was a lot of really wonderful people that I met, um, both within the state of Connecticut and when I went to the national uh, contest, and just, you know, uh, gave me some interesting uh, experiences in terms of just being in front of a lot of people um, and performing, which was not something that I had really spent much time doing before that. And uh, so it was an interesting experience. You know, I think back now and whether you know, I would do it again. I really am glad I met a lot of the people that I met. I mean, just mm. really, really good people. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so it was, it was fun. You know, my sister, I have an older sister and she was Miss Connecticut about four years before I was. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're one of the few sisters that, that that is the case for. So that's how I learned about it. I mean, it was never anything that was kind of in my sights or anything like that, but she thought, you know, it'd be fun for me to do. And um, it was, it was, it was fun, actually. You have a much more interesting family than I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't get into that. <laughs> I saw on Wikipedia that you played a jazz medley on the clarinet for the talent portion of the competition. I Do did. you still play the clarinet? I have not played the clarinet in since the 1980s, but I must say that was actually one of the most interesting things that I've done mm. because when um, I, I love playing the clarinet and I played the clarinet since probably sixth grade and um, in Atlantic City, um, you know, they have this full orchestra that is behind you. Mm. And, you know, and you're in convention hall and there's, it's just packed with people. And it was really, it was a huge, it was very exciting actually. And it was Must have been nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was just really a lot of fun. And mm. um, so that's just kind of, you know, one of those life experiences that I will remember because it was, I've never had that opportunity before or since in terms of just having this, you know, this, this opportunity with this, as I said, this full orchestra behind you. Um, That's be interesting. That. Yeah. So is that the kind of thing where you, you keep in touch with people or is a network of people? I imagine that's a pretty small community of of uh, former contestants or people that have done it. So, uh, well, I, I, you know, there are some people, but not very many. I mean, within the um, within Connecticut, some of the um, people who really helped with the contestants, um, I remain friendly with and, and certainly connected on social media. 
um, but I don't really get that there. Um, so with some people, uh, but but not too much. You know, those were the days as well before social media um, and before really anything where it made it easier to connect with people. So, how do you think, if at all, that experience kind of prepared you for later in life, what you do now, or what you've done since? Well, you know, there you're really, um, you're in a lot of different situations <laughs> talking to people. Um, you know, everything from, um, you know, being interviewed uh, by the media, just going into, you know, different, we, we did a lot with the Veterans Administration, so we would go and we would visit hospitals and, and uh, talk to patients. So I think just being comfortable um, sometimes in what you might consider uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. And then just being, you know, just in front of people. And I think that that certainly, for a litigator, being comfortable in those kinds of situations uh, probably helped. Yeah, I imagine you don't have as many nerve-wracking experiences in a courtroom yeah. <laughs> as yeah, thousands of people. But... <laughs> But uh, but I will say when you're on stage in front of a lot of people uh, like that, thousands of people, um, you do get you do get a little more comfortable in the situation than being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also think you know that was when I was 23, 24. I think there's probably a little bit of just um, ignorance of youth. <laughs> <laughs> now I would I don't think I could do it today. <laughs> Call it I'm sure I, I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, so after law school, your was was Howard your first law firm job? It was. I was actually a summer wow. associate at Howard in 1984, and then I joined Howard after I graduated. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back and talk about Howard. Today's show is brought to you by eDepose, the electronic exhibit solution for depositions. With eDepose, attorneys can use exhibits during remote depositions just like they do during in-person depositions. The best part? You don't have to learn a whole new process. Just mark, introduce, and distribute personal copies of exhibits to all participants in real time, the same way you always have. Learn more at eDepose.com. And now, back to the show. All right. So when you think back on the years you spent at Howery, are those fond memories for you? Very fond memories. It was a great firm. How long were you at Howery? I was a summer associate in 1984, and I joined in um, March of 1986 or seven, um, and was there through when it closed its doors in March of 2011, for a long time. I started in our Washington, D.C. office, because when I joined, there was only one office in Washington, D.C., and then in 1995, I moved out to the Los Angeles office. So were you part of the original team that that sort of went out to that office or opened up that office? 
I wasn't you come later. I was actually asked to go when it was just um, starting, but um, did not go at that time. My husband at that time was working in New York City, so we um, we didn't go out. And then I believe LA opened in 1992, and then um, there was a group that had started there in LA, but then they had um, decided to leave. Uh, leaving another group, a great group actually, uh, in LA, and then um, I and another another partner were asked to go out to to LA at that time in 1995, and um, we went. So, how did Howry change from the time that you joined when it was a you know single single office firm to you know sort of at your at the peak? Well, it grew. You know, when I joined, it was maybe 80 lawyers, and then it grew to, you know, maybe over 800. You know, we only had the one office in Washington, and I think when, you know, at the end, there were, well, I don't know how many, but a lot. A bunch, yeah. Uh, Four in California, we had Houston, Chicago, New York, Paris, Washington, I mean, just a lot. But... You know, the core of what Howry was and the great lawyers that were there really did stay consistent. It was always a firm where people were really hard workers. Um, there wasn't a lot of people who were pretentious. I mean, it was really about representing our clients the best that we could um, and winning and just always being creative and just really great litigators. And it was a litigation firm, and that's really what, what um, when I first read about Howie in law school, because they recruited at Boston College, I went to law school, and it's funny now to think about what the recruiting materials were. It literally was like four pages of paper that stapled together. <laughs> but I remember reading it, and I wanted to go to Washington, D.C., and what caught me was that it was a firm of litigators just litigators. And I was like, those are my people. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just thrilled when I got an offer there. And, you know, being at um, a firm of just litigators and just really just high quality, great lawyers and people Hmm. um, with great clients and also who really cared not... um, not just about the clients and making money, but about impact on the community and doing things like pro bono work and and um, training for the lawyers that were there. And so that was really special. And those things, the sort of core values of Howie, I think were there throughout the entire time, certainly that I was at Howie through the end. So with, from your perspective, having seen it grow from... 80 to many hundreds of lawyers and one office to so many offices spread around. Uh, how do you, what, what factors do you chalk up to the fact that it did stay consistent, that it was that high quality of, of people and, and, uh, and work and things from, from that initial stage to what it became later? Well, I think it's the people, it's the leadership, and it's the, um, you know, it's really the people and the type of people that were drawn to the firm. I mean, it's, you know, litigating for 
you know, the better company cases for your clients are really important matters, whatever they may be. And doing what it takes to do that right, it, it really does take a certain sort of person because it's an enormous amount of work and effort and, you know, creativity and, you know, people who just, just, you know, want to have that sort of success. And so I, but you also have the sort of people who are loyal to each other. So you have the loyalty to your clients, the loyalty to each other. And, and, you know, as I said, people who just really want to make, make an impact in what they're doing. Um, and you get then, you get people, I mean, to do that, you're spending so much time with these people. I mean, so much time with these people. Um, so it's nice to be able to sort of have this, I mean, we're all, everyone is different, and that was actually great because you bring those differences to a case, and then you have that, you know, constructive tension in many ways, which really just leads to always challenging each other and push mm -hmm. each other to, you know, is this the best argument? Is this really going to work? You know, is that sounding too lawyerly? Is that really going to resonate with the jury? And is that going to resonate with a jury in San Francisco? But what about a jury in Texas? And, you know, it's those kind of conversations and those kind of things that actually are really exciting to have. But you form those bonds with the people that you're working with. Um, and it's not just the other lawyers you're working with, it's the support staff, it's, it's everybody. And it's, um, it's really a, it's a really a great, it's a great thing. It's much like, you know, I guess a sports team. I was never on a sports team because I'm not particularly athletic, but I suspect it's very similar to that. You know, you're just kind of going through these, the trenches with them and with people and it's really, and then when you win, it's like the best feeling in the world. <laughs> when you lose, it's really, really, really horrible. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we all get we all get personally invested. I think that's one thing that people that uh, from the outside of the legal world don't fully appreciate about lawyers how personally invested we get with our our cases and our clients. And you often just end up believing in the the righteousness of your that's your right. position so so much. <laughs> And so does the other side. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Often. Well, the good lawyers, you yes, know, that's the true. good lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, I mean, is it fair to say that you sort of cut your teeth in leadership at Howry as well? I think that's, I think that's right. You know, I had, I think that's right. You know, I had had some uh, in college, I uh, had had some leadership um it's big leadership experiences actually, but I think in terms of really leading teams and seeing, you know, observing other leaders, I think a lot of times it's not just from actually doing it, but it's mm -hmm. actually from observing others and what's really good and then actually observing what might not be affected from other leaders as well. And um, there were some really great lawyers and leaders at Howard, ones that were very inclusive and and some that weren't, you know, so you learn from both, I think. That's a, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, I think I and many others um, talk about our, our good experiences to people like you and others in in leadership that we had very good 
models. We were exposed to really good models of, of firm leadership and, and just leading people as, as good people. Right. And, um, and yes, we saw the, the flip side and what we want to avoid as well. <laughs> too, but, um, but I think that was, I think that was really, really, really important to what created the, the culture that we all uh, experienced and enjoyed at, at Howry. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's, it's leading from those who may be in sort of positions of leadership, but also just leading from people that you, learning from people that you, you work with that may be, you know, in sort of, you know, when I was a partner, learning from associates. I mean, or learning from, you know, whomever it might be, the head of our office, administration, whatever it might be. I think you, you really do learn from, from all of those people mm-hmm. that you're in contact with. And frankly, when we were, you know, and as, as you know, Sean, when we were working on cases, you know, a lot of times, especially when we were getting ready for a jury trial, right, we would pull in everybody, yep. <laughs> just lawyers, because yep. it's like, okay, is this going to pass the, does it make sense test, you know, mm-hmm. is this just this esoteric argument that we lawyers have sort of built up in our mind that this is going to be a winner, but it actually makes no sense. Yeah, the thing that we've spent two months going round and round on, can you can you explain it in a way that somebody that hasn't done that can understand and care about? You know, exactly. In, a, in short order. Um, so what's one of your maybe favorite Howry memories? Oh, I have so many of them. <laughs> I have a lot of great Howry memories. Um, I mean, really, when you spend 30 years somewhere, right? Yeah. More time there than I, you know, anywhere, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I hope you have good memories. <laughs> I have wonderful memories. You're just a glutton and, for punishment. <laughs> no, it was just great. And it, mostly it's about the people. Mm-hmm. We had some great cases, and we had some wonderful wins. Um, you know, and those were always great. You know, hearing a jury foreman come back and, you know, say that you, you know, you won, and just really some terrific wins. But a lot of the great memories of the cases were really just the working on it with the people hmm. and just what it took to get there. Um, but we did have some really, you know, important cases for our clients, and those were great memories. The, um, but we did a lot of great pro bono work as well, and I was really fortunate to be involved in a lot of uh, pro bono cases. Um, there was one in Washington, D.C. when I was, um, you know, B-level associate, where we were representing a class of homeless individuals. Um, where we were suing the District of Columbia, and they had a law that said that each individual has the right to safe, accessible housing, and um, the shelters were just packed. And and I worked with a lawyer on that, John Neals and Lois Williams, and they were just amazing lawyers. And to see them argue these these matters were just amazing and and we actually got a great success there so that was wonderful um and then just as i said just really the people you know i did a lot of cases with tom nolan mm-hmm. who was one of the best trial lawyers mm-hmm. i've seen and had the pleasure to work with in fact we probably spent the better part of two and a half years in a series of trials it was from like 2000 and two to 2004, around there, 
and my husband's name is Tom too, and we used to joke that <laughs> I a lot more than I was with my husband Tom, which which actually was true because we were we were in trial in different cities. But um, to see great lawyers like Tom and others and what they do and how they do it, and to just observe it is just like watching a master. Mm. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Mm, yeah, I, I totally agree. Totally understand that. Uh, Tom, I have the same sort of, you know, appraisal of Tom and yeah. my experience working with him. And um, I learned so much in a, in a relatively short period of time um, in things that I have not, you know, had repeated even uh, because it was, I think, looking back on it, it was a really uniquely situated, you know, time for, for me and for others that we were learning under such such great lawyers and and people that really cared about um what we were doing too so right right and and he was he was great but there were there were so many mm -hmm. wonderful trial lawyers like that um at howie and um i had the real privilege of seeing a number of them um in action and uh, it was it was just it was wonderful, really. So, so what is a career highlight for you in particular, aside from the uh, the pro bono case that you mentioned? Maybe a uh, something well, for a client. Well, I I um, there were two. I would say there was you know we did a number uh, actually two trials for um, international paper mm -hmm. um, up in San Francisco. They were insurance coverage cases really challenging cases and um we tried we tried one in 2001 and actually we were getting ready to start the trial when 9-11 hit and we were actually up in san francisco preparing witnesses mm. and and they and the trial actually went forward a couple weeks later and that was really not only because of what was going on in the country and the emotions of that um but just a really significant case um, you know, for our client, and we, we got a great result there. And then two years later, we did, so the first case was on a, the issue of whether the um, insurance company had the duty to defend our client. We won that. And then the, the case in 2003, which was about three months up in San Francisco, was on um, whether the insurance companies had the um, the obligation to indemnify, and we got a, a great verdict there. I think it was maybe number one or number two in terms of awards mm -hmm. on the plaintiff's side. So that was really something that, um, because of just the effort that went into it, the import to the client, um, and of course the great result. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what was your role on those cases? So I was um, trial counsel with Tom. So Tom was lead counsel, and um, I second chaired that trial, both of those trials actually. That's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was very nerve wracking, but it was also a lot of fun. And the first case, it was funny because, and I never had seen this before and never had seen it afterward, but the judge up in San Francisco Superior Court, he had um, trial go from like eight until one. And he um, required that the party, so both sides had to contribute to this, bring in um, 
food to the courtroom. And so every day there was like a, you know, we had tables in the back and there was, you know, breakfast spread that was put out. And then there was a lunch spread that was put out for the jurors. Mm. And so we used to joke that it was like trying a case in a deli. (laughs) (laughs) I guess he felt that the, um, you know, it would keep the jurors, um, you know, satisfied in terms of food and (laughs) their their minds on it. And uh, the second time when we when we tried it for three months, we were really thinking some of these jurors may not want to go home, so they're just going to keep the deliberations going so that they could keep getting getting fed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether that's true or not. (laughs) So I seem to recall there was, you know, in the in the sort of post-trial discussions and you know kind of rehashing of of the victory um, there was a discussion around the theme that you guys came up with that was you know a where you're really kind of boiling it down to the uh, to this really compelling theme do you remember anything about that I don't <laughs> I don't either I wish I did I don't. <laughs> But that was always, as you know, that's the most, one of the most important things that you can do when you're giving mm-hmm. a trial, right, is to get the basic theme, one that you can say over and over and over again and reinforce so that when the jury's going back in that jury room, that's what they're going to remember. Yeah, that's what I recall. I recall it being something that the jurors all uh, said after the fact that that was, that really oh. resonated with them. <laughs> So, You'll have to ask Tom that. I don't well, remember. <laughs> I, I will. Uh, and he's older than me, so if he remembers, it was really bad. <laughs> it was a while ago. Uh, so let's let's then talk about your experience of the sad, you know, situation of Harry's demise. At that point, were you basically in charge of the of the L.A. office or the Southern California? offices? So I um, had been, but not at that time. So at that time, there had been, I don't know how long beforehand, but there had been a change and there were um, two other people who were sort of, sort of walked into that. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't, uh, but, um, but there was kind of a management group that I certainly was on until the very end. What was that experience like for you? It was horrible. It was actually one of the worst experiences, certainly maybe the worst professional experience that I've ever had. And I would not wish that on even my worst enemy. Wow. I have a lot of enemies. Yeah. <laughs> on anybody. <laughs> on your many enemies. <laughs> I wouldn't wish it on anybody, not anybody. <laughs> Yeah, what I mean, bad. what was what was so bad about it for you personally? Well, look at that's where I had been for so long, and I just mm-hmm. really had a high regard for the people, and you know, to see something, you know, and to know when it wasn't going to survive, and just to kind of what it was doing, and just worrying about the people mm-hmm. and just the emotions of it. And at that time, the last few months, we were not getting any sleep at all. We were trying to see what we could do to keep people together. And I'll tell you, in L.A., 
you know, really down to the very end, most people were there, which I think was a real testament to how people felt about each other and practicing law together. But it was just, it was really hard just to see the impact it was having on people and just the, the um, just, just the uncertainty of it um, mm -hmm. was just really sad. It, it was, it was really, really sad. Yeah, I, it was sad for those of us, you know, who hadn't been around all that long. I just, I can imagine it was even more sad for somebody like you who, you know, you were a Howery lifer, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, we were, you know, we were really worried about everybody and you develop mm -hmm. relationships and these really deep friendships. I mean, not just professional colleagues, but really deep friendships in any of Many people that I still are some of my best friends today, and I keep in contact with, and and it's just this, you know, this emotional, this emotional thing, and we see people leaving, and um, you know, just the stress that it caused, and you know, something like that doesn't particularly bring out the best in some people as well, but you try and sort of understand that it's just this really, really stressful situation that we never thought we were going to be in because. Howard was a great firm, great, mm -hmm. first really great clients. But, um, you know, I think when the spiraling starts happening and the headhunters get crazy and the news articles come out, it's really, really, really hard to keep, for it not to just spiral into what it was, what happened to it. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, though. I think it really was inconceivable that that would happen for most of us in, say, the mid-2000s. Um, Howie was was flying really high and um, had weathered downturns really well, and yeah, there was a sense of you know, that that couldn't happen. Yeah, it really right because we had you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when we saw a lot of other firms go under, a lot of other great firms go under. Mm -hmm. We had gotten through that, and then it just, um, and then it just turned, and and then, as I said, you know, a lot of people started leaving, and then people start getting nervous, and it's hard to keep. It was hard to. Well, we couldn't keep it together, but a lot of people tried really hard to do that, and it just we couldn't do it. Which is, you know, I look back and I keep thinking, was there a way? Could there have been a way? But um, but we tried. Yeah, uh, but it just didn't happen. So, was was the demise of Howry? Did that play any role for you in terms of pushing you eventually to to kind of go in house to move out of the law firm world? It did. It did. I mean, I, as I said, we're, there was about a group of seventeen of us that went over to Baker and Hostetler, and um, they were great, really great firm. Really, they welcomed us. Um, but, you know, it was, at that point, as I said, it was just not only a lot of time in a, in a law firm, and then I saw this job at Jacobs, which was really um, a great, you know, it was advertised as a great job, and it turned out to be a great job, and it was just really something to to try something differently. I had always kind of thought about going in-house, mm -hmm. um, and so it was uh, it was time to move from, from the big firm. So what is a career highlight for you after you moved into the into 
Jacobs. So I guess I'll stick with um, one legal related, and then maybe I'll indulge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me two. Okay. <laughs> Give me two. Because <laughs> uh, there's been so many. I mean, I just Jacobs. I mm-hmm. global. I have just been to so many places around the world that I never would have gone mm. to. Um, so that's been just wonderful. You know, the Middle East, Australia, India, London. Oh wow! It's just been wonderful and really gotten the opportunity to see a lot of great projects that we work on. Um, so that's been great. But um, one of the lawsuits that um, that we had that really was was going from the time that I got to Jacobs, we ended up actually hiring a team um, led by Bob Abrams and Bill Cateltis and Joanne Lishman, hmm. who were from Howry and then had been at Baker to to represent Jacobs in the case up in uh, Nebraska, and it was a really big case and. Um, Ended up going to trial. We were the plaintiffs. We were suing for indemnification under a contract. And we actually, um, well, they got, for Jacobs, we actually got a $108 million jury verdict, which at the time was actually the largest jury verdict in Nebraska history. Wow. That was really a lot of fun. Um, That case was tried, and I was there with that team, and a lot of the former colleagues from Howard, and they just did a bang-up job. I mean, Mm. obviously... Just a great, great, great job. And again, you know, watching great trial lawyer, lawyers do their thing was, was really, and just developing that case was really great too, because that was, that was a really difficult case to, um, to turn around. Um, mm-hmm. when they came in, it really was turning it around. Um, but one of the other things that, and maybe it's not just a point, a point in like doing this, but one of the great things that Jacobs, um, is doing under, our CEO, Steve Demetrio, and the, really the entire leadership team is really a focus on inclusion and diversity. And I know a lot of companies and a lot of organizations really talk about it and talk about, you know, the culture, but we really talk about our culture of caring and really, you know, being an inclusive company. And one of the, we, I think we really done a great job with that as again really it's top down from steve on down but i've really gotten involved in one of our employee network groups our prison employee network group which is um, the employee network group for lgbtq plus individuals and i just have learned so much from them and just have been uh just just really it's been so inspirational because we really do talk about being able to bring your whole self to work. And I've really seen through being um, a vocal ally and really being a company where we talk about these values um, and really being a safe place for everyone to bring their whole selves to work, the differences that it makes for people. I mean, really the, the individual stories that I hear and the difference it makes is really, um, so inspiring and it's really a highlight to be part of a company that has a culture whether it's for our gay employees or our black employees or Hispanic, whatever disabled whatever it might be we really really focus on our culture and i think it's really um making us a company like no other which is what we talk about but i think mm. it's true that's great um so as we wrap up i want to ask you a few sort of more um, 
rapid fire questions. Uh, what is your position on lawyer shows? So I like lawyer shows. I like lawyer movies better than I like lawyer shows only because I don't know. I guess I like more political based shows mm -hmm. as if I'm going to watch mm -hmm. them, but mm -hmm. I like pretty much all things lawyers. All right. That's fair. Except for maybe some lawyers themselves. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the real things I have a you know, question. Yeah. The <laughs> fake ones are better. <laughs> the fake ones don't talk as much. <laughs> you can turn them off too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, what do you do to unwind? I um, I mostly I try and get some exercise, so I run. Um, so as I said, I'm not particularly coordinator athletic, but I seem to be able to put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, that's actually no, I'm just digressing. So that's a highlight from Howie as well. Mm -hmm. It was one year um, back in 2000 when. I decided to run my first marathon, and Donald Staunton and Mike Resch and Mike's wife, we all trained together. So it was three of, you know, the Howery family mm -hmm. together for a marathon, and then we, we ran a marathon together, and that was really great. Um, so I run, and um, I like to read and listen to music and just kind of wind down when I can. What's your favorite music to listen to? So I like all kinds of music, but, um, you know, I don't know that I, I mean, I like the Eagles. I just like kind of, depends what kind of mood I'm in, actually. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of Earth, Wind, and Fire, so that's really hmm. kind of a blast from the past, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's one thing you've learned about yourself during the COVID crisis? That I actually like the structure of being able to get up and go into an office or go, you know, travel and go, in, you know, leave my house. So we've been, you know, working from home. But I, um, I actually do like to actually get up and have the structure of a, a workday, whether that workday is, you know, in Dallas where my office is or traveling. Um, so that's uh, that's been interesting. And I guess that, you know, just in terms of the resilience that I think we've all hopefully become a little bit more resilient through this all. Mm -hmm. No matter what the challenges are, we can, you know, we can face them. I imagine it has cut down on your work travel, but what's one of your, what's one of your favorite places that you've been? You mentioned you've been all over the world. So I, I've really fallen in love with London. Um, really have fallen in love with London and have had, you know, before COVID, had the opportunity to travel, travel there a fair amount. But, um, but I gotta say, last year at this time, we did a trip to, um, Dubai and, um, Abu Dhabi and Sharjah, so the whole UAE and then Singapore. And that was just fascinating and really, really enjoyed that. We have a couple of really great projects there. And, an office there and people were just so welcoming and friendly and, and um, so we really, really enjoyed that. Well, I think we need to wrap it up, but <laughs> it has been a lot of fun catching up with you and, and talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Sean. It was great to see you again and talk to you. Likewise. That's it for today. 
Huge thanks to Joanne Caruso for joining us today and for being such a good sport. And thanks to Edipose for being our show sponsor. Join us again next time on the Loyalty Podcast. We have a bunch of great guests coming up, so be sure to subscribe to Loyalty so you don't miss out. And as always, if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us get the word out. Production services for today's episode are by Four Hours of Sleep. And the music for the show is by Rhythmic Revival. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean Kennedy of Pereira Purdy. This is Connecticut, Joanne Caruso.